Amen. What a gift of worship that was this morning, wasn't it? It's just uh, a good time to celebrate Christ. Well, excited to be with you guys. We're, we've survived uh, two weeks here in California now and doing, doing well. It's, it's been rough, I'll tell you, this, this weather. I, I, it was a little chilly this morning, though. What was that about? I, 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 I'm concerned. See, I've already gotten, uh, I've already adopted. Um, so, uh, looking forward to being with you guys here this morning and diving into God's Word. And, uh, but I wanted to start by just reflecting on a, on a really good memory of mine. It was, uh, happened in the year 1990-91 NBA season. You guys may remember the, the, the duel that was happening. It was Magic versus Jordan. Michael Jordan at the middle, prime of his career, Magic Johnson, kind of fading, one might say. And uh, the 1990-91 season, it was the Bulls versus the Lakers in the NBA Finals. Does anybody remember that? Or is this, is this too soon to bring this up? I'm sorry. <laughs> is this too soon? Uh, so I remember, remember like it was yesterday, the, the first game of the, of the series, the, uh, the Lakers just crushed the Bulls. And it was like just a solemn place to live in Chicago at that time. It was a very sad day. The second game, we all came with some little bit of hope that maybe we could turn this thing around. And you know what happened? The next four games... The next four games, the Bulls won straight four games to win the NBA Finals. And I remember, I know, everybody's like looking at me like, you're a jerk, why are you talking about this? <laughs> but, but what I remember is I remember in the, the, the neighborhood that I lived in, it was springtime in Chicago where we actually come out of hibernation a little bit. And uh, we had the, the, the doors open and every time like Jordan or somebody would make a basket, you would literally hear like the echo through the neighborhood. Like there'd be like a united cheer for the Bulls. It was such a, a fun time in, uh, in the season and everybody's still looking at me like, why are you talking about this? But, but what I noticed is, is after the time of excitement, after the parades, after the celebration, after Jordan got old and retired, like for some reason, the parades stopped. The cheering got a little more quiet and all of a sudden, similar to the Lakers, there's not as much to cheer about. It's more, it's, it's more, it's more like you're just happy if they make the playoffs. And so, and so, so the cheering stops, but, but the reason I bring that up is because that's exactly what happened with Jesus Christ. When he was doing everything that everybody wanted, when he was on top, when, when he was healing people, the crowds were cheering, the, the palm branches were waving, but, but what happens when all of a sudden he does things that, that they didn't like? How do they respond then? And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning is just the response of the crowd being similar to our own response to Christ is when he's doing this, when, when things are going well in our life, we're ready to cheer. Yay, yay God, yay God. But, but what happens when all of a sudden the expectations aren't being met? In the case of the, the story this morning, in, and we're going to be looking in the book of Mark, but in the case of this mor the story this morning, it's right after the triumphal entry. And the people there had these hopes that Jesus would come in and he would fix everything. At the end of the parade, they're thinking this is the perfect time for us to, to, to rally together and to take down Roman, the oppressive Roman rule of the time. But that's not exactly what Jesus did, is it? 
He didn't. He, what, what's, what's so sad to see as you look back is, is at, at the time of what happened there is that he did exactly the opposite. He gave the opportunity for them to be healed and restored personally, maybe not collectively, but they missed that. They missed the healing that they could have had personally and they were focused on their outward experiences. So many times in our own lives, we, we see the exact same thing, that we get so caught up in our current circumstances that the, we miss that God's trying to change the person in the circumstances, right? And so many times, we, we're, the peripheral stuff is so consuming, we miss that God's trying to transform us from the inside out. We're going to be looking at the, the story uh, of, of what happened immediately after the triumphal entry. And we start to get a glimpse that, that Jesus all of a sudden is, is sometimes less than we expect, but exactly what we need. If you guys can turn with me, we're going to be looking at Mark, the book of Mark, chapter 11 and verse 15. And we're going to start to see what Jesus does collectively is he starts to put a flashlight in the dark parts of the, these people's world. He starts to look at, hey, what's, what needs to be transformed to become more like myself? And we're going to see here, diving into the text, that it wasn't exactly what they wanted to hear, but exactly what they needed to hear. Mark eleven fifteen says this, On reaching Jerusalem after the triumphal entry, Jesus entered the temple area, and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and, bench, and, and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Let's pause there for a second. I think this starts by the, starting with the way that we actually see Jesus. We have this tendency to see Jesus. We have a, a picture here. Of, uh, of happy, joyful Jesus. Like, he's just, he's just always having a good time. Like, he's just, just feel, we, we like the grace piece, the happy part, the smile, smile piece. And, uh, and doesn't he look like he's just, a, he must be on a bike there. And, uh, <laughs> and we, we have this image of this nice little light blue sash and the, a nice tan skin, maybe some blonde flowing hair, and just, just the mild-mannered Jesus. But, but the truth is, if we're going to get the full picture of who Jesus was, he was a lot more than that. He was the balance, the perfect balance of grace, but also truth. He, he, was, he was perfect but he was, and loving, but also just, right? We, we, we tend to like to camp on the, on the side of the, the grace and the, the loving peace and the happy Jesus. But, but what about when you get exposed to the justice part of who God is? When I was in college, uh, we can take that picture down. When I was in, uh, when I was in college, um, I was, um, had a certain young lady that I was trying to impress. And I was at the zoo with a friend of mine. The two of us had a, kind of a, a, a double date thing happening. And it's funny, guys can maybe admit that, that, that you end up doing some foolish things in an attempt to impress ladies. Any other gentlemen ever been in this camp? Everybody's just, 
I, I'm letting the secret out of the bag, guys. Just confess. It's gonna feel good. It's gonna feel good. Yes. And so, uh, and so, I remember at the zoo, it was the day it started sprinkling, and uh, and so everybody just kind of cleared out, and it was just us. We kind of muscled through, and we're like, we're gonna stick around and hang out and see see what happens. Well, after the zoo cleared, and uh, and animal lovers, maybe it's best that you just cover your ears from this point forward. Is that all right? So this this is this is all all love, all love. But we we took we we took we we made the mistake of doing this, me and my friend, we took these little pebbles, nothing that was going to hurt anything. They had this, this white tiger, beautiful white tiger that was there. We said, what would happen if we chucked one of those over at the, at the white tiger? Look at people shaking their heads at me right now. Uh, I'm going to get letters. Uh, you can forward those to Bill Berry. That would be great. Um, and, uh, and, and so we were taking these little, I, I was 19 or 20, so t- chucking little rocks over. And, and at first the tiger kind of shook it off. But after, after a while, the, the tiger started getting fired up, started kind of growling at us and even raised his paw. And we took it, the, these young ladies weren't telling us to stop. And so, and so we took it the next step further. And there's this little section that you could go right down by where there's just a fence between you and the white tiger. And, uh, and, and people are looking at me like, how's this going to end? Clearly, I'm still standing here. But... Uh, <laughs> But we started chucking them and uh, chucking a couple more little little pebbles at, at this tiger. And I mean, it got to the point where, I mean, it was fired up. It was getting a running start, jumping and clinging on the fence, shaking it. Like, it, like uh, it, it was pretty scary, I got, I got to admit. So like after, after it did that like once or twice, we we're like, uh, maybe we need to like leave, leave here. And, uh, but what I, as I was reflecting, one, on the foolishness of that uh, and how much I love white tigers and would never want to see them hurt. Did you guys hear that? Get that on tape. And, uh, but as I was reflecting on the, the foolishness of that experience, I was thinking to myself, what if the fence wasn't there? What if the fence wasn't there and I'm there chucking my little pebbles at this white tiger? Things would not have gone well for, for Scott and his friend Mark, right? Probably the girls were impressed, trying to impress as well. Like, it would have ended very poorly. But the truth is, we have Almighty Creator God, who is perfect, who is holy, and our sins are chucking little rocks, pebbles, over the fence. And someday, truth be told, whether we want to embrace this or not, that fence is going to be lifted. That fence is going to be lifted and we're going to have to give an account for our actions. And so the, this, this idea of this, this perfect, like, grace-filled, loving God, yes, he's all of that, but he's so much more. And so Jesus gives us a picture here that when we start to see him after the triumphal entry where, where somebody might have wanted to just bask in the celebration of the parade, but what does he do? He goes into the temple, starts turning over things, starts uh, just dumping the, the, can you imagine the scene, what that would have been like? The chaos. This had happened one other time in Jesus' ministry. It started, he started his ministry doing that. You can read about that in John 2, 13. And then he ends, he concludes his ministry doing this, turning over temples, bringing the church back to what it's designed to be. And so the reason I was thinking about this, what is it that got Jesus so fired up? Why was he so upset at this? You know what it was? He takes what happens when we gather together very seriously. 
He takes worship very seriously. What we're doing before here when we're singing praises, he takes that really seriously. So much so that it got him fired up to the point that he's turning over tables. Now what else was going on there? Now you guys may have seen this unpacked before or heard this unpacked before, but the money changers, what were money changers doing there in the temple? What does that have to do? Anybody have any idea of that? Well, what, what, what it was, I'll, I'll, I'll fill in some, some pieces maybe. So what happened there is this was at the time of Passover, and once a year, everybody had to bring a Passover. They, they basically had a tithe, or you, you, it would have been a, a temple tax is what it was referred to at that time. So once a year, everybody from the community, everybody from the area had to come from wherever they were at and pay this tax. And so we're looking to actually implement that in the town of Agora Hills. Uh, and so, no, just kidding. Uh, and so... Um, and so they had to bring this temple tax and pay, and pay that to the, to the temple to keep uh, p- providing for all the needs of the temple, those who work there, all the, 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 the different elements of that. But here's the unique thing, is what they, they had twisted this thing that was supposed to be an offering to God, and they had twisted in these money changers. They, you couldn't turn in. They had all different types of money at the time with different coins and different images on the coins. They couldn't turn in, this is crazy, they couldn't t- turn in a coin that had anything to do with a government official like the Caesar or the, the any leaders of the time. So you had to exchange a coin for a, a temple acceptable coin. Does that make sense? And so because you wouldn't want to grave an image on the coin that you're turning in, of course. And so the, the, the people there working in the temple were being oh so helpful. And for about a day's wages, they would exchange your coin with the, the, with the political leader on it for a temple appropriate coin that wouldn't have that on there. Isn't that crazy? So they're just cashing in. So every single person that had this required temple tax, they're coming and each person, they're taking a day's wages from them in this exchange. So that's what's happening in the outskirts of the temple. So obviously using it for financial gain. And if that weren't enough, they had the opportunity to bring a, an offering as well, and that offering came in the form of a sacrifice, whether it was a goat, a dove, it kind of depended on what you could afford at that time, but it was supposed to be something that was sacrificial. Well, what they had set up in the temple courts there to help make it easier is they had pre-screened goats or, or, or a, a dove that you could, you could go there and you could just show up and purchase that. And so, again, another way where, where you'd bring your own, your own goat and they'd be like, no, that's flawed. You need one that, that's here that's been pre-screened. Like, it, it was just a flawed, messed up system for financial gain. And Jesus was saying, no, we're not having that here. Not in my place of worship. So the people that were working in the temple were flawed. But then also, in addition to that, and stay, stay with me here, in addition to the, 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 the people cashing in on it, they also... You had the people that were there worshiping had lost sight of what a, a sacrifice was supposed to look like. They would just show up and with a few bucks in their pocket, have it all taken care of. There was no degree of, yeah, this, this, was, a, this was a goat that I raised from, from birth. It's the perfect one out of the, out of the whole herd. That's the, that's the one that's flawless. I'm bringing that and, and I, I, my family has known it. It's something that, that meant something to me. It's something that was important to me and my family. And I'm bringing that as an act of sacrifice. So you had lazy worshipers there as well. So you had both of those things happening. And if that wasn't enough, uh, the third thing that was happening and that fired up Jesus was that they also had 
you also had an additional obstacle for those that, that were not Jewish, for the Gentiles, to be able to come to worship. Because the whole outer gate in the temple at that time was set up so that Gentiles were able to worship outside of the main sanctuary there. So you have the, the Gentiles that were obstructed where the pl one place designed for them for worship was now made up of all these money changers and goats and doves and all this craziness. So it was an obstacle to the world around them coming and being exposed to Jesus Christ, being exposed to, to true worship. So all of these things led to an angry, bold Jesus. He's saying this is, this is not the way it was designed to be. I just wonder if you parallel those things to today's church, our church here, what would that look like? What would that look like? Would it be people just kind of lazily approaching worship like no big deal? When the, when the offering plate passes, you know, there's no real degree of sacrifice. What would Jesus confront in this church? What, what would he address with us? It's kind of convicting. My question for us in this and responding, because I think in the whole idea of this series of Radical Jesus, my whole idea is this. We're trying to figure out a clearer picture of him because he's the one that we're supposed to be following. So if Jesus gets fired up about some things, what is it that gets us fired up? Are, some, are there some things that actually get, get us, stir us a little bit, get us fired up? Like, or we, have we just kind of gotten numb? Are some, th some things around the world that's, that, that are broken and flawed? Or there, are there things that are actually stirring us and moving us to action? I was, um, it's so often that I, that I run into people that have their different things that they get fired up about. Maybe you guys have this of people that you have a conversation with and you're like, you're like man, that's, the, that's their hot button. Does anybody here have a hot button that you press it? And uh, you got to be careful when you're around that person not to press that hot button. Husbands know this about wives. Uh, but... Uh, but, the, but everybody has the, their hot button. But the question is, is your hot button the right hot button? I feel like we get fired up about things, but sometimes the things that we get fired up about are completely off track. Like I, I, I and, and I'm all for like making stances and different things, but like sometimes I hear things that people get worked up about. I'm boycotting Walmart. Like Walmart, I'm done with them. You know what I mean? Like they sell something that is bad. And uh, so I'm done. Like we get, I, I don't know, you guys fill in the blank what your, what your Walmart is. But like uh, the, the point being is we get fired up about the wrong stuff so often. Like we get, we pick our thing. But, but the thing that we should be getting fired up about is not trying to modify the world's behavior around us, but trying to introduce the world to Jesus and let him modify people's behavior. Does that make sense? And so, uh, so many times we, wanna, uh, we want non-Christian folks to act more Christ-like, which is not very wise, right? But, but instead, introduce him, like there's freedom in this. Like introduce people to Christ, and he can transform them to be like himself. Now, does that sound fair? Can we, can we agree to that collectively here as a church? And so, so what gets us fired up? Some injustices should stir us up. So Jesus obviously was fired up here in the temple. He c continues on. Look in verse 17. He says this. And, said, and as he taught them, he didn't just get fired up for the sake of being fired up. He said to them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. 
you have made it a den of robbers. And these are some pretty bold, pretty bold words to show up after your big parade in your honor and then directly confronting people, calling them a, de a den of robbers. He wasn't so politically correct. You guys ever noticed that about Jesus? Not so good at that. Like if you're thinking of a, a campaign where you're trying to like elevate your popularity, that probably wouldn't be a wise move at the end of your parade to come in, start turning over tables, calling it a den of robbers. Not, not real wise. Like, and I, I think we have this tendency to be so nice and politically correct and not willing to address things as they, as they need to be addressed. We, we hate, you know what it is? I think we hate to, the, the potential of offense, right? Offending somebody. I was at uh, Chipotle a, a while back. Any other Chipotle fans in here? Enjoy a nice uh, burrito bowl, chicken, delicious. Um, and so coming back, it was with a leader at the church that I was working at. It was a lunch with a leader. I get back, and I, I'm driving back from my lunch, and I, I glance, anybody do this? I glanced in the, the little side mirror just to check the teeth. Anybody else do that? And I had a, I had a piece of lettuce, like it was, it was probably a good inch. It was sitting in my tooth covering at least one, probably two teeth. I'm like, how is this person that was, uh, I considered a friend, not going to tell me this and let me just go on into my day with this chunk of something in my teeth? And, uh, and, and so we, 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 we fear the idea of offense and we avoid it. But Jesus was not that person. He wanted to directly address people. He wanted to put the spotlight in people's hearts to the dark corners and figure out what needed to be addressed. He loved us enough to not leave us where we're at. Thank the Lord, right? And so, and so that's exactly what he does here. He, he uses it as a teaching moment, but it's awesome to see how he blends it perfectly between grace and truth. Some of us would say, like, I'm a, I'm a truth person, and you'd be like, yeah, I fall in that camp. But the grace thing, not so nice. Simon Cowell, he would fall in the truth thing, but, but not so much the grace thing. Anybody agree with that? Like, I, I, have you ever met somebody that says this? They say something horribly mean to you, and they're like, what? It's true. It's true. It's, and you're like, yeah, just because it's true doesn't mean you're allowed to say it. You know, like you got to pick and choose, run it through that grace filter. But that's, uh, but, but, the, but that's, but that's the, the amazing thing about Jesus is, is that he perfectly, he, he walked that tightrope between grace and truth. Because truth hates sin, but grace loves sinners. Truth hates sin, but grace loves sinners. And he did both of those perfectly. And he points out, he uses this as a teaching moment. He points out the two different things that he wanted the church to be about. The first one there being a house of prayer. Being a house of prayer. I was paying attention this morning, that just kind of the flow of things. Before you all came into this room, there's a, a group of us gathering behind stage, just praying for this time. Praying that the Spirit would work. Praying that God would be present here. When, um, when, when John came up, he prayed. When Chad was there, I think Chad prayed two or, or three times. The too many, no, not, no such thing. House of prayer. The idea is, the idea is that this is to be a place where prayer happens. Where we're talking, we're communicating with Almighty God. Like that's what, what, what Jesus is saying. Man, let's get rid of some of this peripheral thing. Have you ever thought about worship? Basically, worship is musical prayer. It's basically the adoration piece of Acts, you know? It's the, it's the praising God collectively through music. So prayer needs to be a piece of this church. It'll be fun to see ways to elevate that even more as a priority here amongst this body. 
So house of prayer, that's the first thing that he addresses. And then the, the next thing that he addresses, what, is it, what does he say there? A place for who? For all nations. A place for all nations. Where, for, where anybody that walks through the doors of a place of worship, they feel just as welcomed as the most important CEO celebrity that we can think of. Like what an awesome thing. What an awesome thing. God's desire is not that we elevate one person over another. He wants it to be a place that everyone is welcome. Doesn't matter how many tattoos or piercings or bald heads or whatever. Uh, like everyone is embraced in this place. What would this church look like if that was happening? I saw little glimpses of that. I was yesterday at the Awana Grand Prix. That was a good time, let me say. That was a good time. I'm a little concerned about our host, but... Uh, but um, <laughs> But it was a fantastic time. And I looked around the room. Casey did a fantastic job pulling that together. Looked around the room. It was completely diverse. Different families, different ethnicities. It was just like, just this collective hodgepodge of random car racers. And, uh, and we were sending these wooden cars down this thing and cheering. And it was an amazing time. But I, I, I stopped and I was thinking about that. Even when I was preparing this morning, I was like, man, if we were a church where all nations were embraced and accepted, what would that look like? What would need to change in us personally? What would have to change? The thing that you realize about both of these things is that when you become a house of prayer, when you personally become a person that embraces all nations, you know what happens collectively? It happens to us collectively as well. It has to start personally. God can do some amazing things through us. So he, he, he challenges, us, challenges this group on two things and a reminder of what the church is designed to do then the last thing that I see in verse 18 is that his boldness wasn't just for kicks. It was his boldness demanded a response. It demanded a response. Verse 18 says this, The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, and listen to this, and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him, the root, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. You see, Jesus is not someone that we can ignore. He demands a response. He demands a response, whether it's a positive or negative one. You start to see in the text here, there's a, a number of different ways that, that people responded. The first one that I want to point out there is hate. People hated Jesus to the point that you would actually want to kill somebody. Like, what would somebody have to say to you that you would move from, like, just not liking them to wanting to plan how to kill them? Like, I mean, this, this degree of hate, this degree of response, what he had done with the religious leaders of the time is he had turned their tables literally and personally upside down. They weren't sure what to do with the truth that, that he was presenting to them. They were, they were the, you imagine it says there that they feared him. What if everyone stops listening to us? What if we're no longer needed? What, what if we're no longer significant? What if our, our cash cow was taken out of the equation here? Like all of a sudden this fear, because what happens is people, when they're introduced to Jesus, they're not quite sure to what to do because it typically means one thing, change typically means one thing. When you're exposed to Jesus, it means a transformation. And that's what the, what the, the religious leaders of the time were not willing to do. They weren't willing to change. That's what he requires. 
People still respond the same way about this. Have you ever, guys ever had one of those encounters uh, with, with somebody? I, I take, uh, in Chicago, I was taking teams over to a community college and just going in and engaging with people in conversations about Christ. And, um, and just in some of the conversations with folks, it was so interesting, the emotional response that just the name Jesus brings. Anybody else notice this? Like people hear the name of Jesus and, and a lot of people are just like, whoa, I, I, I want nothing to do with that, man. Like, I, like, like what, what about happy, loving Jesus? You know, like people, people this, they, it, he evokes this, this response to people within, sadly, so many people with hate. Other thing we see in the text there was that why did they fear him? Because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. So you had hate as a response. You also have amazement as a response to Jesus. People get, were at that time were intrigued by the fact that the things that he taught were so countercultural. The things that he did were so uh, opposite of what they had experienced up until this point of their lives. And then you add to, you expand that amazement to them the things he was doing, the the, the healing that he was doing. It, was, it would say, says that he would show up in a region and they would bring all of their sick and all of the, the people that were, were broken to him and he'd heal all of them. Can you imagine what kind of amazement in that region that must have been? The amazement level was like off the charts. And so, and, but, but here's the thing is amazement doesn't last. Amazement doesn't last. These are probably many of the people that were there amazed by his teaching were there the next day chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. If we settle ourselves in the amazement category, and you got to believe even in a room like this, you would have somebody that's maybe been in that amazed, they're impressed with Jesus, but they've never bent a knee to Jesus. And that's the third category of response is submission to him. You have people that are excited about this idea of him, but not willing to change, not willing to submit to his leadership. They're attracted to him, but not willing to let him lead and guide their life. And so a lot of people kind of camp out in the amazement. But the ask is, and the movement of this text, is at calling people towards submission. Submission. Those of us that have turned from our sins, embraced Jesus' death as payment for them, and allowed him to be the leader of our lives. That's, that, that's the turn. That's what we don't see happening with the people here after the triumphal entry, after they're cheering and chanting his name. Now they're shifting and they're deciding, whoa, this, this, this means some change in my life and I'm not ready for that. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond to the, the confrontation of, of sin in, in, in our life? The truth is God does that collectively to us before we come to Christ, but then after we come to Christ, he keeps confronting us with sin. Do you notice that? He keeps pointing that, that same flashlight in the dark corners of our lives, saying, if he was coming right now and cleansing your temple, what would that look like? What would need to be adjusted? What would need to be uh, taken out of the darkness and brought into the light? The amazing thing that I love about Christ is that the invitation is, is this. When you do bring those things to light, when you do choose to acknowledge your sin, he embraces that. He embraces us back. He loves to have us acknowledge, man, I've blown it. I've sinned. That's the whole idea of repentance. That's the whole response, like when we're exposed to our sin. And so I, I, I was reading a, a, a book, and the, the, they're describing repentance as this. It says, the best dance you'll ever boogie to. 
The best dance you'll ever boogie to. And I I love that description of repentance because we have this idea of it being such this horrible thing like, oh man, I've got to admit that I blew it and I was wrong. But there's freedom in that. It's the best dance we can boogie to that God invites us to to come clean with us, with him. And the the truth is in this this room, you got to believe that some people have never done that in, in their entire life. They've never come to the point where they've bent their knee where they've embraced Jesus' death as payment for their sins. They've, they've, they've never had that experience. And we'd love here, even this morning, we're going to have some folks up here available to pray at the end of the service. Get that straight. Get that piece figured out. We're racing into another Easter season. Don't leave this morning without having that settled in your life. But then for many of us that have made that decision, the question is, and I'm going to give us a few minutes to ponder this, is what part of your temple needs to be cleansed? What part of your temple needs to be cleansed? What part of your life is God flashing that light into? What needs to be brought in line to be in his likeness? We typically uh, end our service with a, with a one last chance to, to sing. I'm going to invite Chad up uh, here and he's going to give us a gift this morning. He's going to give us the gift of a, just a little bit of time. Anybody feel like you're running pretty fast, pretty hard during this season? I know I am. I, uh, I, I think the thing that I would love us to end our time with this morning is a chance to just quietly reflect. If you're thinking through what, what is it that God wants to do a work in my temple? Is it maybe, maybe as you look back at what we talked about here this morning, is it, is it maybe tainted worship? That you've gotten just kind of lazy in your worship. You've taken things for granted. You, come, you show up on a Sunday morning and it's just, just kind of routine. It's gotten to be, you've gotten to be numb. Maybe, maybe it's this, this area of your temple that, that, that Jesus got some things that he got fired up about. Maybe some of you have been too numb for too long. There's nothing that fires you up anymore. Nothing that you're passionate about. Nothing that actually moves you to doing something of significance. I want to ask us to just kind of take a, a few minutes as he's playing just quietly. We're going to bow our heads and just allow the Holy Spirit to work in this room. Just see what he, wants to co- what he wants to convict us of. I know when I was preparing this, there's a number of things that got brought, God brought directly to the light. So I'm just going to be quiet for a couple minutes and allow you to do just some work with God, giving you the gift of some time. God, we just thank you so much for the invitation to come clean, that you embrace us back, that it's, repentance is the alternative to pretending. God, I just pray that we'd live just clean lives before you, that repentance would be a regular part of our day, a part of our routine.
We thank you for the, the bold life, Jesus, that you lived here on earth, that you weren't content with leaving us the way that we are, and you continue to not be content with that. I pray, God, just as we go into this week ahead, that you'd continue just preparing our hearts to celebrate you, celebrate the sacrifice that you made for us. Thank you this morning for a chance to be in your word and the example that you set for us, that you got fired up about things, that you, there were things that weren't right that's moved you to action. I pray that there would be that same stirring in each one of us, that you just ignite a passion in us, God, a passion for things of you. And I pray that we do that with a appropriate balance of, of grace and truth. God, we just thank you for your patience with us. We love you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning, as I mentioned last week, we're going to have elders available here just to, to pray for you before leaving if you'd like to take advantage of that. Otherwise, I pray you have an amazing week. We'll see you on Good Friday at 7 p.m. God bless.